0: They're selling the main Trump corporate entities for scrap and Trump and Junior and Eric are all busted and barred from ever operating a New York business again as Judge Ngoron of the New York State Supreme Court finds Trump and the rest guilty of persistent fraud in the operation of all of their business affairs. The court has ordered the companies be dissolved, liquidated, a receiver appointed to sell the assets, including Trump Tower and Mar-a-Lago, And that a financial monitor stay in place with a trial in October just to decide how much of the ill gotten gains are to be returned to the people of the state of New York. Bidding is starting at $250 million plus for the disgorgement order. Oh, yeah, and all of his attorneys got taken to the woodshed too and hit with fines for persistent, frivolous legal argument. Appeals and stays may be, but overturning the ruling, highly unlikely. You heard of Speedy Trial? Well, how about one that is turbocharged? Judge Chutkin, D.C. federal court judge, is strongly considering punishing Trump's increasingly bad form and behavior, not just by gagging him to stop hammering with threats of violence, witnesses, prosecutors, and potential jurors, but by speeding the election interference trial up uh, from March. Did someone say January 2024? Trump claims this is all about his First Amendment rights against the Biden DOJ as he runs for office. But once again, he misses the point. A candidate and an indicted defendant's First Amendment rights do not give him the right to interfere with the administration of justice and not in Judge Chutkin's courtroom. Continuing our speedy justice episode of Legal AF, Judge McAfee, the Fulton County Criminal Court judge, can do more in a one-page order than any judge we've seen in recent memory. Now we have his ruling on Fulton County DA Fani Willis's September 6th motion to protect the future juries in the Georgia election interference case from being harmed or attacked. Guess by who? We have the second anonymous jury ruling against Trump in a year, and we will tell you why this protects Trump's right to a fair trial, even if he doesn't understand that. Finally, Judge Cannon the anti-Judge McAfee and Jutkin, has set hearings too far out, writes confusing and conflicting orders, all in the Mar-a-Lago case. This time, she's going to hold a conflict of interest hearing about lawyers who are representing way too many witnesses in the same criminal prosecution and whose interests are probably not aligned, but she'll do it in her own convoluted way, not the right way. We cover all of this and so much more on the midweek edition of Legal AF with and I am so proud to always be with Karen Friedman Ignifilo. and this is Michael Popox exclusively on the Midas Touch Network for Legal AF Karen I don't
1: Good know where you
0: are you're in some sort of some sort of old-timey bedroom there but we <laughs> but we, we are ready to launch and I have a big smile on my face, and so do you. And people always comment on, on that in the chat. Oh, this is going to be a good one. Polbock and Karen have big smiles on their face. We have big smiles on our face because for people that were sort of like looking, it's like when you're waiting for the bus to come and you look the other way, and then you turn around and a bus is right in front of you. That's what happened with Judge Ngoron's civil fraud case. We knew it was coming, but we've all been looking the other way at the criminal cases, wondering when Donald Trump's going to be brought to justice. Well, if you can call taking the very essence of his DNA and ego and heart, ripping it out and showing it to him and then tossing it into the street, that's what Judge Angoran has just done by basically effectively in granting summary judgment for um, the New York Attorney General, the Office of Attorney General, the OAG, as we like to call it in the neighborhood, Um, Against Donald Trump, without the need for trial, he has found, as a matter of law, that the Trump organization and all the things under it and all the people under it, including Donald Trump, have been conducting persistent fraud in their business dealings, and that requires an extraordinary set of remedies that could only come from a New York attorney general and a New York state judge, which is, we're going to shut down all your businesses, cancel all of your certificates. All of your certificates of operation, liquidate your company, and then we'll have a trial on how much you owe us in addition to that. I mean, if Donald Trump has always run, not only not as the master showman, but as like the consummate business person, we should have a business person in the White House. I always reminded people, the guy went bankrupt four times. He's the only person in America who went bankrupt running a casino. Okay, <laughs> We're talking about money hand over fist. And now, He's the, the whole, you know, the emperor has no clothes, although that's a disgusting thought in Trump's mind, in Trump's view, because his his business model has been laid bare and laid to waste by this judge saying, you've only been able to do whatever you've been able to do because you guys are fraudsters, hyperinflating the value of, of property, including Mar-a-Lago, ironically, and Trump Tower and other properties by by not just a little, by a lot, by hundreds of millions of dollars per property, and then deflating it and fighting the tax assessor when you wanted to pay less in tax or giving out easements, like in the Mar-a-Lago, conservation easements, meaning you can't develop certain aspects of your property, you have to keep it like like a park, for public use because that lowers your tax burden, but then claiming to the lenders, oh, it's well, I could develop every inch of Mar-a-Lago and put towers and buildings all over it. Um, and so that is the fraud, right? And that is that in that inhibits and and animates every action Donald Trump has ever done since he inherited this company from his father. I would like you, the inimitable, Karen Friedman Ignifilo, prosecutor former number two, I don't know why he's, former one of the heads of the New York, for the Manhattan DA's office, who worked closely in matters involving the New York Attorney General, who has a little bit of criminal power, but a big civil, a big civil stick that she gets to wield or whoever occupies that office. And you've worked closely in parallel, in parallel matters uh, related to this, including a little bit of Trump, but not this particular one. So I'd like you to sort of, Talk about what the 35 page decision, but but fundamentally, what does this mean for Donald Trump? And then we'll round it out at the end of the segment with what does Donald Trump do from here? And what are his chances of prevailing at any of the two last stops on the train? The first department appellate division, which sits over the, the New York State Supreme Court first level appeal, or all the way to the highest court in New York, which is the Court of Appeals.
1: Yeah, this 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 is a case that uh, I had to read this decision at least twice because it is so substantive and so chock full of information and it is just a blow to Trump, to his adult children, and to his organizations, and everything else that is Trump world. I mean, this decision is just absolutely the civil death penalty. It's the most, it's the biggest remedy, I think, that you could ever give uh, against, you know, like a judgment or, or a punishment, if you will, against uh, somebody civilly, you know, normally in civil cases, you just it's about money. It's about how much money, you know, that someone has to pay. This puts him out of business. This makes him sell all of his crown jewel properties. And he loses his licenses to operate certain things in New York. I mean, and it also cuts to the heart of, of who he is. I mean, it, it, he, he holds himself out as this great businessman. And here the judge, in black and white, in no uncertain terms, over and over and over again, just really talks about how he's a liar, a cheater, and he steals. I mean, and he didn't just call him those names, he actually spelled it out uh, for all the world to see, property by property, business by business, and it's just stunning, you know, and he overstated the value of his assets by more than $2.2 billion per year when it came to trying to get loans, right? Because he wanted more, to be able to take more money out of these properties. So it was worth it to him to have them valued more. And then a fraction of these amounts when he was paying taxes, because you don't want to pay taxes on something that's worth, you know, hundreds of millions or billions of dollars. You want to pay taxes as little as possible. So you try to get it valued as little as possible. And, you know, look, that's something that that is done done to an extent, but the way he did it, the way Trump and his henchmen did it in this case, and that was spelled out in black and white, was just absolutely stunning. And, and what, what I think is going to happen next, I think we're going to potentially see Alvin Bragg uh, say, you know what, now that there's a judge that has found that Donald Trump has um again, it's a different standard, it's not beyond a reasonable doubt, but in black and white terms has has absolutely lied on business records. And the fact that he, a lot of this came from his deposition, right? That The deposition that uh, Letitia James took and he sat for, he didn't take the fifth the second time the way he did the first time. And now Alvin Bragg has all of that evidence that he could bring in a criminal case. And Judge Arthur Angoron in his decision actually points to statements in his own deposition that are in conflict with, with things that were on paper. And so I think the evidence is there. It's in black and white. You've got Donald Trump's words and you've got the the statements. You know, one of the things uh, Judge N. said was, look, this is essentially a documents case, right? You look at the documents and you see what they say. And, you know, when you look at the documents, uh, they don't say what you say they say, Donald Trump, you know, that Donald Trump lives in a fantasy world, and, you know, not the real world. And you can't just make stuff up and say that, you know, things are, are whatever they, they're worth whatever I want them to be worth. And, you know, and you, you can't also rely on this thing that Trump always talks about, which is this worthless clause that he calls, right? This disclaimer. And so Judge Ngoron really went through and um, and just took took him to task and took him apart piece by piece by piece and said, look, Trump, you filed from 2011 to 2021 or even before that. But, you know, this case is from 2021. 2021 every year you file these statements of financial condition right and in them you put information about your finances and you did things like overinflate the not the amount of square feet that your your penthouse is you know like you could say okay i think it's worth more money than than it is but that's very different than saying on a piece of paper no it is 30,000 square feet right that's what he said his penthouse was, that it's 30,000 square feet. And uh, in 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 fact, it's about 11,000 square feet, right? And you can't just lie and make that up, you know? And and Trump at, at one point said, you know, well, it's subjective, you know, things like square footage is subjective, subject to interpretation, but not something that's, you know, like, you know, not not something that's triple right that's ridiculous that that you can have a difference between you know 10,000 square feet or 11,000 square feet and 30,000 square feet so you know the judge really goes through property by property and and talks about like in Scotland his golf course he he inflated the value by 3,500% uh you know his in Seven Springs you know he the value over 200 million dollars more than than the um Largest appraisal, and on and on and on, and you know he found that the defendant had a propensity to engage in persistent fraud by submitting these false and misleading statements, and then, as you said, uh, you know, did this preliminary injunction, you know, that tr- that he's now t- turning to an injunction. Um, and he's enjoining him from, uh, from doing business in New York, you know, all his LLCs have to be, are now no longer valid. And, you know, one of the things I loved about this is this decision is in addition to, um, in addition to taking, going through these properties one by one and, and giving such a, a strong, um, punishment, he also um, tells Donald Trump, you know, look, you can't just say, for example, I have a worthless clause, right? You know, um, you can't just say that it it means that I can say whatever I want because, you know, he he actually puts this clause, um, the judge puts this worthless clause or this this thing, the words of it in his decision. And, you know, he said that in your sworn deposition, Trump, he puts that also in his decision, you kept saying it's a disclaimer, it's a worthless clause, because it makes a statement worthless. You know, you say, quote, I have a clause in there that says, don't believe the statement, go out, do your own work. The statement is worthless, it means nothing. So Trump said that under oath in his deposition. But the judge then points out, look, you know, this clause, um, your reliance, you know, that doesn't use the word worthless at all in this clause. Um, it doesn't use the word useless it doesn't use the word ignore it doesn't use the word disregard or anything similar right you can't just talk about you know things that uh, it might be the value in the future when it is the value now and so the judge just i think rather than just doing a one-page decision which says you know i find this he did a really good job i think in explaining exactly what everything means and um and what it means as a a, as a um, punishment you know and he's he's going to be put out of business he's going to have to sell everything and you know that's that i mean it's just, just shocking and you know, really like i said it's it's like the civil yeah. death penalty um you know it, there was count that was for count number 1 there's counts 2 through 7 um that he said still have to determine liability right the uh, of the of the company as well as the amount of um uh disgorgement of profits.
0: Yeah. The, the, um, the main defenses that Donald Trump wanted to put on a trial, which he won't have an opportunity to do, and tried to argue in the papers were all shot down summarily by Judge Ngoron. The first one, as you mentioned it, Karen, um, was that there was a clause that was at the bottom of all of his financial statements that said um, basically his version was, you can't rely on a darn thing that this piece of paper says because you got to go out and do your own due diligence. That's not what the clause says. In fact, quite the opposite. The clause says that I, Donald J. Trump, hereby certify the validity and the accuracy uh, and the appraised value or whatever it's going to be in this financial statement that it complies with generally accepted accounting principles. And the judge says that became especially more acute because your own auditor, Mazers, Mazers decided to um, back out and back out noisily from an, an 11 or 12-year engagement by saying, uh, everything that we've said in the audited financials of these companies for all these past years, you can't rely on that. Can't rely on it at all because um, we don't believe it any longer And so, and goodbye. And that, of course, roiled the investment market and the banking market because they're like, what do you mean you're, you don't have an auditor? Your auditor backed away and disclaimed 12 or 13 years of your financial statements. And the judge says, yeah, once Mazur's backed out, then it be, then it fell squarely on Donald Trump. Donald Trump is using his own credit, if you will, his own um, honor. Uh, that's a hard word to use in the same breath as Donald Trump. Um, it, in order to secure credit, he's saying, trust me, trust me. I'm Donald J. Trump, which he likes to tell everybody. My word is my bond. I, but, and then he signed on the dotted line because banks were like, okay, well, you don't have audited financials. We gotta take something, at least tell us that what you're telling us is true. And he said, yes, where do I sign? And then that's that's the first problem. Um, and the judge pushed back and said, yeah, that, there's no such thing as a worthless clause that says, don't believe what I'm saying. Who are you gonna believe? You're gonna, you're gonna believe me or your lying eyes? You know, Paraphrasing a, a famous Marx brother uh, routine. This is from the judge, who I love. Anybody that paraphrases quotes the Marx brothers, I'm in. Secondly, um, their second defense, which Judge shot down like one of those, you know, games at the arcade with the balloon and you have a you have a little toy gun, was the worth was the uh there's no victim, judge. There's no victim. We paid back all the loans. The banks made money. The banks love us. They give us a lollipop and a toaster every time we go down there and open an account. What are you talking about? Judge says, you don't get it using fraudulent statements in your business operation, which I have found that you have done, um, is against the law and it violates the executive law, and it allows the, the attorney general to shut down persistent fraud in the operation of a building. And you say there's no victim. First of all, there doesn't need to be a victim because the marketplace is the victim. Because you're getting to borrow more money than you're entitled to at a lower interest rate than you're entitled to. Because you're going to the bank and telling them that Trump Tower or the Trump Tower apartment or whatever is you know a $300 million apartment when it's really a $30 million apartment. It's a nice apartment. But it's <laughs> it's I love this this sketch. It, but but it's not a, it's not there's a big difference between 300 million and 30 million when you're going to borrow, especially when you're borrowing at some percentage of the loan against the value and you're getting a lower interest rate because it's so let's say I wanted to borrow 100 million dollars and the property's worth 300 million dollars well, the, they're going to give you a lower a lower interest rate. Because if you default, they're oversecured because there's, there's $200 million of equity. And they, they're like, okay, well, worst case scenario, we'll get all our money back. So they lower the interest rate. But if you're borrowing $100 million and the apartment's only worth $30 million, then the bank, unbeknownst to them, is undersecured, meaning they lent money they shouldn't have at a rate that they shouldn't have. So he got a low rate and too much money, and the next guy in line got less money because banks only, banks only have a certain amount of money they can lend on their balance sheet. And so that is the fraud. So you can't, so the two, the no victim defense, eh, on. And the third one, this is like a family feud. And the survey says, third one is um, that, a val- I love this one, value, Appraised value of a property is a state of mind. It's a state of mind. It's whatever Donald Trump wakes up. He he once wrote a. He was once quoted in a book from about uh, fifteen years ago, in which he said his net worth is a function of his feelings. Isn't that adorable? His feelings, not not appraised value and of property, jewels, cash. His feelings. Uh, and he he continued with that in a, in the deposition that the judge quoted, but quoted in a way to embarrass Donald Trump with his ridiculous under oath statements. When Donald Trump went back in for an interview, having taken the Fifth Amendment along with Eric Trump hundreds of times before that, when he finally got in there to try to like I don't know embarrass um, embarrass uh, Letitia James like he like he tried to do to Kristen Welker recently. It's different. It's different when you're under oath and you're against the powerhouse litigator. And, attorney general like Letitia James. And he said, yeah, it's, uh, you know, my buildings are like uh, masterpiece paintings on the wall. How do you put a price on the Mona Lisa? You know, it's whatever somebody will pay. And I love the way Angoron popped that balloon so elegantly and really got Trump. Trump said in his deposition, and the judge quoted it, he said, it's whatever my properties, I could put up some huge price. I'll get somebody from Saudi Arabia to pay for it. And the judge says, I don't know if that's an, an example of the market or influence peddling, that, you're try- that they're buying, they want to get close to Donald Trump, so they're willing to overpay for property. So that wasn't a good thing for Donald Trump. So after the judge shot down the three defenses and then rejected Donald Trump's attempt to get summary judgment, because they're always me too. Me too, we want summary judgment, but we think there's no case judge said, yeah, there's a case. There's so much a case. You don't understand basic New York law, which is a problem. Not surprising so it's because the two main lawyers are a New, Jer- New Jersey lawyer and a Florida lawyer. So you, you can understand why they didn't get New York law. They didn't have like a New York maven next to them. Like Karen would be able to whisper in their ear and say, wrong law that's not the right thing to argue um and so they, the judge says you don't know fundamental law about 63-12 of the executive law you don't understand how disgorgement works you don't understand the damage or no damage. it has to be proven um and you've and, and you keep bringing up time and time again frivolous arguments so frivolous why, why don't I just sanction the lawyers? So he sanctioned all three all three of the law firms, 7,500 bucks that goes to a victim compensation fund um, related to that. And now the only thing left is let's get to a trial in October. Um, and the only thing that would stop that, I want to talk about it in a, in a moment, would be a stay granted likely by, if, if a stay is going to be granted, it would be granted by the first level appellate court, but the first level appellate courts already still chewing on whether there should be a trial in October at all. Before the summary judgments got granted, we think they're going to get a decision by tomorrow, maybe, um, about whether the October trial should go forward. But now it's so narrow, all it is is all it is is about whether the, they the issue of disgorgement in front of a bench or a jury is going to go forward. But I want to put up before we chew on that. And I want to hear your view about Alvin Bragg and statute of limitations, whether he has a problem or not, because I think that's interesting, is I want to put up the social media post from Donald Trump. This was one of his many, and I want to just, I just want to acknowledge why this is so wrong under so many, so many circumstances. Um, Just, and just, we'll just read it here. Let me just pull it up in my own, my own way so I can read it. So, He starts with, we need justice in our country. Okay, I don't I don't debate that. This political hack judge who values Mar-a-Lago, the most spectacular parcel of real estate in Palm Beach, and perhaps all of Florida at $18 million in order to reduce valuations, which in fact lowers my actual net worth, must be stopped. Okay, stop right there. It's valued at $18 million because Donald Trump petitioned to lower the value of Mar-a-Lago and to apply a conservation environmental easement on it so he wouldn't have to pay high taxes in Palm Beach County. That is the price after he petitioned Palm Beach County that they set on so he could pay less in taxes. See, that's the fraud. Up, 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 fake numbers for loans, down, down, down for <laughs> for uh, taxes. So you have that. Then he says, I've had a very unfair set of judges since entering politics, but nobody has been as unhinged as as this guy. I would beg to differ. I think that Judge Ngoron dealt a very difficult hand with Donald Trump in a very complicated case, has not only done it exceedingly well and been affirmed a number of times by both state and federal courts um, around the country. But uh, I, I don't. I do not think there is reversible error that will help Donald Trump at the appellate level. He says uh, he goes back to Mar-a-Lago being worth a hundred times more. That's back to value as a state of mind. It's whatever he says it's worth. Um, he says he could not have defrauded the banks, who all made money and were all paid back. He misses the economic point of 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 how he's victimized the marketplace and stopped the guy from behind him from getting the loan that he was entitled to because he he over he got an overloan, if you will, and also that he got it at a lower rate than he should have, and it was under collateralized, which could have jeopardized the bank if the shit had hit the fan. Um, And then finally, he talks about what Karen outlined, the disclaimer clause on the first page, which is nothing of the sort. It's an attestation by Donald Trump that he is attesting to the truth and the veracity of all of the financial information. He signed it. He signed his name to the bottom of that fraud, and the judge kind of hit him with it. Karen, what do you think about, you mentioned, I love the Alvin Bragg thing from your old office. Everybody, the only criticism I've seen in the hooray about the decision by Judge Angoran is, gosh darn it, Alvin Bragg, see, he should have brought his criminal case too. Now, here's the question. We know that that, um, Letitia James had some issues on some of her claims because they fell off the statute of limitations timeline because she had six years to bring them. What's the deal with the feds? I mean, the feds, with the criminal prosecution? Can Alvin bring it now? And does he have any type of because it's persistent fraud, does he have a limitations problem with filing?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. So, normally, felony in New York is a five-year statute of limitations. And, you know, this, Letitia James brings this case, you know, it's from 2011 to, to all the way through 2021. And don't forget, uh, the monitor here, Barbara Jones who um actually found that he was engaging in fraud during the pendency of him being monitored by her. So which is what one of the things the judge cites in his decision which is he's still engaging in fraud, you know, despite the fact that uh that he has this independent monitor. So I think he'll be fine for much of it because it is a 5-year statute, but there are so, there are some things that will toll the statute of limitations in New York as well. One is if you're continuously outside of the jurisdiction uh, during that time. And, you know, he was outside the jurisdiction at, during the time that he was president, right? He wasn't living in New York and he can't be prosecuted as, as a sitting president for, for a crime. So I think they would argue that that period of time tolls the statute You know, doesn't count in the five years. And he changed his residence to Florida, et cetera. So I do think he has time to bring uh, some of the charges, um, if not many of the charges, if he is planning on doing it. So we'll see.
0: We, well, here's the question that all of the audience I'm sure is waiting for. If you were Alvin Bragg, knowing what you know now from the order and all the evidence we've seen, Would you, if the buck stopped with you, would you prosecute?
1: If I could prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, absolutely. You know, it's a different standard, right? It's not preponderance of the evidence, which. Which is here, um, which is, you know, the the about ba- the scales are you know are exactly equal, right? And you put a feather on it and it, it goes a tiny bit, and that's that's you know what it that's what's preponderance. I love that civil standard. I mean, I love <laughs> it's the best standard ever, you know. I when, love I left, <laughs> when, when I left prosecution, I mean, and you know, now I do a lot of civil work. It's my favorite, it's my favorite part of it. Like to prove something beyond a reasonable doubt is not easy. You know, you have to convince 12 jurors beyond a reasonable doubt. That they all have to agree as to every element of every crime beyond a reasonable doubt. Well, so go ahead.
0: And I was going to say, you 30 years on the with the more extreme burden, now you've, that you've moved over a lot to civil, it must be like you used to run. Uh, a record time with a fifty-pound vest, and now you've shed, you know, exactly. like those vests, and yeah, you've gotten yeah. rid of the vest, and you're just running down the track. You have no,
1: you have no idea how much I love it. I, I I'm always like giddy, uh, you know. Like yeah. that's it. That's all we have to do. Anyway, so I, I do think, you know, I do think. Um, I don't know the evidence and the witnesses um, in that case, but I do think that uh, if he can prove it beyond a reasonable doubt, I think he should. I think he can, and. And it is largely a documents case. So, you know, and, and between that and the depositions under oath, et cetera, I think it's it's certainly he should be looking at it again um, or still. And, you know, the, the only question is, does he wait um, to see the trial? You know, th- there's still going to be a trial, right? There's still going to be um, testimony at a trial to discuss, you know, some of the conduct here because one of the things that, Letitia James is going to want to determine is the egregiousness of the conduct, right, and how much money uh, sh- of the profits were ill-gotten or needs to be um, disgorged. And so, a lot of mo- a lot more evidence will be developed through that trial. So perhaps he wants to wait to see how that goes, and and the witnesses testify, et cetera. That, that could be another thing he's waiting for.
0: Yep. And uh, I know what people are waiting for here. They're waiting for us to um, get to our other segments on, on legal AF. And we're going to talk about Judge Chutkin, who's now has a fully briefed issue related to the gag order in the Jack Smith DC election interference case. Donald Trump's brief is in and and it, we could have written it. We could have written it before he did. We knew exactly what he was going to argue. And, uh, and we'll talk about what Judge Chutkin does with a misbehaving, and I'm putting it mildly, Donald Trump who's busy attacking witnesses and potential jurors um, and the rest. Um, and she's already she's already laid out what her what her uh, potential remedy for misbehavior was. And I'm not sure it's a gag order. We'll talk about that uh, and what could ha- possibly happen in the courtroom. And we'll talk about Scott McAfee, so who so far has done nothing but impress me with the um, at the velocity at which he makes rulings the clarity of them, the intellectual honesty of them. Even though he's a young Republican Federalist Society judge, he is bringing me back faith in the justice system that it doesn't matter who appointed you or where you studied, if you're gonna follow the law and justice and you do it properly, good things happen for the rest of us in the public. And so we'll talk about Judge McAfee and his uh, new ruling to protect jurors from one Donald Trump and the rest of the 18 co-conspirators. And then finally, We'll talk about places where justice seems to, you know, be going through a corkscrew. Uh, And that's Judge um, Cannon's uh, chambers as she's continuing to struggle to get a handle on the law underneath undergirding Mar-a-Lago and all of the witness issues. I get she's a young new judge and I get she might be doing all these things for the first time, but, you know, we're watching sausage making and it's not pretty. We'll talk more about all of that on the midweek edition of Legal AF, but first, a word from our sponsor. Did you know that your temperature at night can have one of the greatest impacts on your sleep quality? If you wake up too hot or too cold, I highly recommend you check out Miracle bed sheets, Inspired by NASA, Miracle Made uses silver-infused fabrics and makes temperature-regulating bedding so you can sleep at the perfect temperature all night long. Using silver-infused fabrics originally inspired by NASA, Miracle-Made sheets are thermoregulating and designed to keep you at the perfect temperature all night long, so you get better sleep every night. These sheets are infused with silver that prevent up to 99.7% of bacterial growth, leaving them to stay cleaner and fresher three times longer than other sheets. No more gross odors. Miracle sheets are luxuriously comfortable without the high price tag of other luxury brands and feel as nice, if not nicer, than bed sheets used by some five-star hotels. Stop sleeping on bacteria. Bacteria can clog your pores, causing breakouts and acne. Sleep clean with Miracle. Go to TryMiracle.com slash Legal AF to try Miracle made sheets today. And whether you're buying them for yourself or as a gift for a loved one, if you order today, you can save over 40%. And if you use our promo, Legal AF at checkout, you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. Miracle is so confident in their product, it's back with the 30-day money-back guarantee. And if you're not 100% satisfied, you'll get a full refund upgrade your sleep with miracle made go to try legalaf legal af and use the code legalaf af to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40 percent again that's try legalaf legal af to treat yourself thank you miracle made for sponsoring this episode and thank you, Judge Chutkin, because as we were about to break for the for the uh, commercial, she very kindly waited for us to be on break to break new news. We have breaking news, folks, and it's great. Judge Chutkin has rejected and denied completely um, Donald Trump's efforts to recuse or disqualify her from presiding over his case. Uh, we literally just got it. I think when one of us is talking, the other one will read it but the, um, for the, we can give you the last line, and then we can backfill during this episode for the reasons that she states in her 20-page opinion. The defendant's motion for recusal of the district judge, meaning her, is hereby denied, and that is it. You can try to take an appeal, but it's almost never successful. They are the first arbiter of their own ethics, if you will, at the trial judge level, and we have a very, as we said earlier today, We've got examples in this legal AF of judges who are um on the ball, who run a disciplined courtroom, who have disciplined minds, well trained, and, and it runs the gamut from new judges to a judge that's been on the bench for for 15 years, Judge Chutkin. And and what we're seeing when that happens, we see justice. We see Intellectual integrity and decision making, um, and we can we can like take a little bit of a, a sigh of relief. And I think that's the best feeling for me that we've got a um, an adult in charge who has the best interests of the administration of justice in mind. I know that Trump spends all of his time, um, you know, railing about you know out of control Marxists, leftists judges who are out to get them and aren't looking at the law or the facts, but the opposite is true. When you use examples like Judge McAfee so far and Judge Judkin, um, we should be proud of the work that they do and the decisions that they make. And this one is another one of them. So I'll frame what I was going to start with, with Judge Chutkin, and then by the time we're done, one of us or both of us will have learned enough about some some bone molts, some amazing phrases that I'm sure are buried within Judge Chutkin's order, and we will bring them to you. Let's start with what we thought we were going to talk about off the break, which is Judge Chutkin deciding also, and let's just, we can, we can tie things together here. She already said to Trump, uh, this is my phrase, not hers, go F yourself, I'm not going anywhere, I'm presiding over this case, and I'm gonna be ruling on all the motions in front of me, including the motion for a limited gag order, we call it a gag order, uh, but, uh, Jack Smith didn't call it that, uh, a limiting order on um, what uh, Donald Trump can do and say um, that goes beyond the pale of, of, of his First Amendment rights, trying to balance that against the proper administration of justice, and particularly Jack Smith in his filing Said uh, you gotta make him stop, Judge, attacking witnesses, prosecutors, and polluting the future jury pool, the jury, the jury veneer, because I'll we'll never be able to get a fair and impartial jury. Not for what Donald Trump said in his papers. He has it actually 180 degrees ass backwards. He says, "Well, what are they trying to argue that the more Donald Trump talks?" the more we're going to convert a D.C. jury into a Trump jury that's 95% Democrat? No. <laughs> that's not the argument. The argument is the same as Fani Willis makes in Georgia. It's that we won't be able to get a fair and impartial jury for the accused, for Donald Trump. It's not that we're worried that he's making Trump jurors. It's that the justice system represented by the Department of Justice, it's in their name, is worried that we won't be able to get an impartial jury that already doesn't have its mind made up to like hate and or be scared of Donald Trump in order to render a, a, a proper opinion, a, p- a proper decision verdict under the Sixth Amendment and due process. That's the fear. Of course, they make it into a straw man in, their, in Trump's legal papers in order to destroy it. We don't think you could ever convert DC people into Trumpers. Well, that's not the argument at all, that's not the constitutional argument that's been raised by the Department of Justice. And so, um, although they, although Jack Smith's papers did not put in there and also make him stop attacking you judge, we know he's attacked Judge Chutkin, Judge Angoron, Judge Middlebrooks in Florida, every judge he doesn't like. Silence for Judge Cannon in the Mar-a-Lago case never attacks her, always lauds her. Silence, he, he, att- he hasn't attacked McAfee yet, he will the judge up in up in uh, in Georgia, uh, and and Judge Mershon in presiding over the Stormy Daniels criminal case that we don't talk about much because things are sort of moving along towards a trial date there that may be reset up in New York. So she's got two things she can do. She can. Grant some version of what the federal government is asking for, which is to make him stop attacking witnesses, jurors, and and prosecutors in social media. He can do everything else he wants. That's one, through himself or through his proxies. And the second thing she can do is say, I warned you once in my courtroom that your First Amendment rights um, are cabined, limited by the fair administration of justice. You don't get to say anything that you want because you're claiming First Amendment rights, because there's a broader pu- public policy here of, of a proper trial administration, and I'm not going to let you overcome that. And she said, if I find that he can't comply with orders and, and be civil, so to speak, in a criminal case, I may just speed up the trial. Now, she set the trial pretty quick, we thought, um, in March. But there are there are a number of months between basically what's now the 1st of October and March. January comes to mind. Could she, Karen, based on the hearing say, I'm gonna enter some sort of order, but I'm gonna do it one better. I don't like what I'm watching. I don't like what I'm seeing. I don't like the attacks to hang and kill General Mark Milley, who's going to be a witness we know in the Gen 6 case, his attacks on prosecutors and doxing them. Phony Willis talks about it in Georgia as well, racial violent assassination efforts. Judge Chutkin got an assassination threat to her chambers, and she could say, I think I'm going to do two things. I want to hear what your opinion is. Do you think Judge Chutkin is going to move this trial to something like January to to also punish, if you will, or um, try to modify the behavior of an out-of-control Donald Trump?
1: No, I don't think she will. I don't think she can. You know, you, she has to be just as careful about uh punishing him by Essentially, what would be considered violating his due process rights? Right, he has a right to prepare for his trial, and uh, and you know you can't just rush it to punish him. Where he would say, "I need more time." It's already going fairly quickly, and so I don't think she can do that. In the same way that I think she has to be very careful in issuing any sort of gag order, because not only uh, is he a candidate for president. Uh, Many of the witnesses or one, at least one of the witnesses, you know, Mike Pence in the case, he's a witness in the Jan 6 case. He is going out and talking about Donald Trump and in his in his um, running for office and, and Trump, you know. Has an argument that he should be able to respond. Uh, certainly, that's what he says, and I just think the First Amendment here is is really tricky, given um, given uh, the fact that everybody's running for president, and you know we're in the middle of an election. So you know, look, I, I just think I, I don't think she's going to issue a gag order. I think she'll issue another very stern warning. She might say, "Look, you can't." I'm, 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 I'm ordering you not to threaten or intimidate witnesses. In some ways, I guess, you know, it could be not really a gag order, but an order of what she can't, he can and cannot do. Um, Although she already has done that. I don't think she's going to do much more than that. I mean, I I don't think they're going to move the trial quicker because that, that violates another amendment, you know, not just.
0: Yeah. comment. Sorry, I don't mean that. So I I, 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 don't disagree with you. Although we'll have to see what she's going to do. Comment on what they're trying, what they're seeking in the gag order, and what you think the judge with the. And if you want to comment on the briefing related to Donald Trump saying, "My First Amendment rights, uh, you know, I get, I'm running for office, and uh, you got to let me talk." And Joe Biden's trying to shut me down. Why don't you comment a little bit on that, and then we'll get prepared for the, the blo- the bombshell for today, which is Chuck and said. Go, I read it while sand. you were, You're while you were talking were me. Yeah, and I read I'll, I'll it read it down. Like then we can talk about it. Good. Why don't you talk about uh-huh. what we're, this part, and then we'll then we'll go back to it.
1: Yeah, just that you know the the, the argument here is the um, Trump said, look, you know Jack Smith, you filed a speaking indictment, and you had a press conference, and you made insurary attacks on the president, saying he fueled an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy, and this was inflammatory rhetoric, and it poisons the Trump uh, defense, you know, and, and it poisons the jury pool against Trump and the jury pools already um, complete, you know, very much a um, pro Biden 95% pro Biden. And so you're saying that I'm, I'm the one who's, who's potentially going to poison the the jury truly pool, you're the one who's poisoning the jury pool, um, Jack Smith, and and you and so therefore I have to have a right to um to respond to this. And then he, of course he talks about the First Amendment, and he says Joe Biden knows he, he was losing against Trump, and so he brought these cases as a political pretext, which is ridiculous. You know, you could argue that Trump actually ran for office in order to prevent these cases. These investigations were going before he declared, and so you if anyone. Was was using, um, was was trying to manipulate the criminal justice system and, and etc. It's it's Trump, not 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 um, Merrick Garland by way of appointing a special counsel, Jack Smith. It has literally nothing to do with Joe Biden. But anyway, so she, he he complains and says, now you're trying to muzzle me, and you know Smith has not identified a single potential juror who's. Been and why can't, you know, why can witnesses like Pence attack me, but I can't respond, you know, on and on and on. So he, he just basically says, you can't, um, you can't do a prior restraint slash gag order, you know, and talks about how, um, you know, this doesn't meet the the strict standard, the strict scrutiny standard that would uh, be required to, um, to pass muster to infringe on someone's First Amendment rights. So and he also says, Look, my post don't endanger anyone and all, all this kind of stuff, all the things that you would expect him to say. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think, um, I think, think, you know, here, the um, I do think, although his, his arguments are a little bit uh, suspect, I do think that um, the judge has to be very, very careful and tread very carefully here. Um, you know, look, though, Donald Trump has walked that line, and he certainly has, um, has, you know, walked a very fine line, you know, more than that. The the funny thing is, um, I I think it's dangerous to put a gag order on him. And I think it's because he's running for president. And I think it's dangerous to and violates his due process rights in order to speed this up. What I don't think is a problem is putting him in, you know, put him in jail, which is what you would do to any other defendant who would uh, who would threaten judges and threaten prosecutors and threaten witnesses and, um, and behave in the way he's behaving. But nobody... Nobody but me seems to like that as an option, but that's what happens in the normal course.
0: So let's turn to the disqualification motion. You and I have had a chance to spend a minute basically looking through it. But, you know, I tell people, I tell people like my clients that minute is, uh, you know, 32 years in the making because that's that's how long I've been practicing and training to answer that question. And so it's a minute, but it's a good quality minute by you and me. Um, what did you, what did you pick up from? And then I'll give you my, my, my favorite quotes from, for me. I'll just, the Watergate analogy, I think is really sums it up best, but I'll, I'll do it in my end.
1: Okay. So, you know, to me, what I liked about this is she said, look, you know, yes, you point out that the, the, so, so, look back up. Trump said, I want you to be accused because in two other cases you made statements, Judge Chutkin, that you that show that you have a predetermined animus against me. In two other sentencings, when you sentenced other Jan 6 defendants, you made comments about, well, the guy who incited this, he's not being held accountable, et cetera, and therefore you have shown that you are anti-Trump. But what she did a really good job at showing was, look, in any sentencing, in any federal case, there, uh, the judge, you know, the defense puts on mitigation. Evidence and um, and what happens is the judge listened to the mit- mitigation evidence and what the mitigation evidence was was both defendants said look you know I'm not the one who who incited this I was doing this on uh, you know at the behest of of somebody who's not you know who's not being prosecuted for this I meaning Trump. Um, And she agreed with that or or at least acknowledged that. And so she said, look, this was a um, was an appropriate response to something I'm required to do, which is considering mitigation in a case. So that's number one. You know, you're taking my statements out of context. These were intrajudicial statements is what she called them and said, and they were a response to what was being said in other cases. Um, And then she went through the law and showed, you know, what the law is that would require um, recusal. And, you know, she sums it up in the end and says, you know, um, but basically, you know, this court from the beginning repeated its commitment to ensure orderly administration of justice in this and any other case. That commitment echoes the court's solemn oath to administer justice without respect to persons to do equal right to the poor and to the rich and to faithfully and impartially discharge and perform all duties under the constitution and laws of the United States. Based on a review of the law and the facts and record, the court concludes the reasonable observer would not doubt its ability to uphold that promise in this case. And I just thought that was a beautiful paragraph. And that's why she denied the motion, because she can be fair. And uh, anyone looking at what she does and says, will see that she will be fair.
0: Yeah. So I loved her breakdown of it. She basically took them right at their, um, their, their frontal attacks on her. Two different Jan 6 defendants who blamed Donald Trump at some point to try to get leniency in their sentencing. Um, and she went through a description of both of their heinous acts against the seat of our democracy and the arguments that were being raised by her lawyers and the comments that she made in full, not just the clipped version of them that were in Donald Trump's papers to explain why first setting out the facts, then the legal standard that she need to set out. And for me, when she got into Watergate, which I've always said is, of course, is the analogy. Um, she said legal precedent also counsels against her being disqualified in the case you're we accusing. Um, the DC Circuit's "on um, banc decision, meaning all the judges of the DC Circuit in United States versus Haldeman, which is the famous case involving the attorney general that went to jail that used to work for Nixon, she says is particularly instructive. In that case, the Circuit reviewed. A recusal motion against District Judge Sirica. Judge Sirica, for those who don't know, was the judge who presided over a lot of the Watergate um, trials and convictions, and is um, sort of a lion of the legal of the legal world. And they try to get rid of him. Some of the later defendants who were being prosecuted for their participation in the Watergate conspiracy. Uh, judge Chugun goes on on page 15 to say the motion relied in relevant part, on statements made by Judge Sirica in prior cases involving other Watergate defendants, almost exactly on all fours, as we like to say, as Donald Trump is arguing here. In particular, the judge says Judge Sirica had, during those earlier proceedings, expressed the belief that criminal liability extended beyond the seven persons there charged boy is this eerily similar to the case in front of her and even suggested persons whom the prosecutors might consider calling before the grand jury investigating Watergate that was judge Sirica. the circuit court affirmed judge Sirica's decision not to back out of the case holding that his statements did not reflect a disqualifying state of mind and observing that quote no disabling prejudice can be extracted from dignified, though persistent, judicial efforts to bring everyone responsible for Watergate to book. And she's basically painting herself properly as the heir to Judge Sirica in the Watergate case that says, just because I presided over other Jan 6th insurrectionists and defendants and formed all my opinions in court, intra court, not outside the court, by watching television, which is what they accused her of, I, I know what I saw and I know what video I've watched. You um, know I'm allowed to take that with me in my mind, in my brain, into the next set of, of sentencing as long as I don't sort of use that to show favoritism to one side or the other because I prejudge the case. And since there's no examples or evidence of that, uh, your motion is denied. She's going to get upheld if they try to appeal it. They're not getting out from under Chutkin. And Chuck is going to have to make that decision on that gag order and whether to speed up trial or not. I'm sure it's going to come up. She's not going to be happy and we'll be reporting on her hearing when it happens.
1: One of the things she said that I really liked in there was how basically, you know, the recusal motions can be used as like a a sword, you know, to go out and uh, judge shop. And, you know, that you, that, that you can't just do that because you don't like your judge. So, and she points that out, right, that, that you can't just because you don't like your judge, you can't use it to go try to get a new one. So I think it's important that she very much uh, went through, um, pointed out what the law is and showed how she doesn't even meet that standard um, in the law.
0: Well, we got a one-page order. And by contrast, by judge, literally one page, second page was just a signature. Um, responding to Fawny Willis, Fawny Willis, um, other news today has asked for a protective order to make sure that Donald Trump's, uh, when she turns over material to Donald Trump and the others, that it doesn't leak out into the wrong hands. It's the same kind of protective order that all the federal prosecutors have been seeking and obtaining one by one. And now Fawny Willis has asked for it as well. We'll follow that. But uh, the, the news this week that we want to cover at the midweek is Judge McAfee, in a one-page order granting Fonny Willis's efforts proper to uh, protect the jury um, from all of the things, the parade of horribles that she listed in her moving papers on the 6th of September, in which she talked about her office, her people being attacked, addresses posted on the internet, um, even on Russian websites under the control of the Russians, um, to try to, uh, including the 23, uh, special purpose grand jury jurors, their names, where they live, who they love, where they worship, where they study, um, and and you know what kind of uh, pet they have, all posted on Russian websites, uh, and they've all been subjected to terrible doxing, violent attacks, violent uh, threats, and so has Phony Willis's office, and she wanted that jury to be anonymous, taking a page out of um, uh, Judge Kaplan, a federal judge up in New York who in a civil case for the, the digital rape uh, uh, sexual abuse case against Donald Trump that Eugene Carroll prevailed on, in a civil case, he on his own decided that the jury needed to be protected from Donald Trump and made a whole list of findings against Donald Trump attacking jurors, grand jurors, jury four people, prosecutors, judges, and the like. He did that on his own. The only time I've ever seen that was when organized crime or drug lords are being um, indicted and tried and they want to protect the jury. But now here the only people that objected to this Karen were the media who wants to get their hands on everything because this trial is televised, meaning we'll get to see the action. We'll get to see the juice. The witnesses, the judge, the lawyers, but what we're not going to get to see either by sketch or photo or by information or details is the jury at all. What do you feel about that decision and what is, what do you think that shows for judge McAfee's control of his courtroom?
1: I mean, he's amazing, right? So far, he's shown himself to be a true pro. He knows exactly what needs to get done. He knows the law. And, you know, he I love that it's a one-page, you know, this is what we're doing um, order. So, I, I think it's great. Like, th- look, this is it was interesting that, that the defense didn't jump up and down about about this because, you know, I've never had an anonymous jury in one of my cases. It's always been denied when I, tried, when I was a prosecutor because the defense attorneys would jump up and down every time and say, You're signaling to the jury that my client is so dangerous. That, you know, and so bad that they have to remain anonymous. And I don't want that to, you know, you're going to, pre- it's going to prejudice my my case if they're so scared, you know, that they have to remain anonymous, etc. So, um, so I thought that was sort of interesting. Nobody objected except the press, but I think it's the right thing. I mean, you see what happens to you know, to, these are just ordinary citizens who are doing their civic duty and they shouldn't have to be subjected to, you know, the the, the horrific behavior of, of people who follow Donald Trump. You know, that's it doesn't matter whether it's Trump himself who has threatened prosecutors and threatened witnesses and, you know, post pictures of, you know, the the baseball hat to to Alvin Bragg's head or, you know, whatever. We we've seen so many examples of, of him threatening, um, doing things that are threatening, especially January 6th, right? And he says, oh, you know, I didn't do he 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 says I I basically denies having anything to do with any of violence, but we all know that he is the guy who makes all the violence happen to everybody, whether it's Ruby Freeman and Shea Mas, whether it's January 6th, whatever it is, you know, all the death threats, et cetera. And no no juror, no average citizen should have to, you know, they're, they're doing their civic duty. They're going to jury duty They're It's not, you know, it takes time out of your day. And uh, they shouldn't be subjected to that. So I think it's absolutely the right thing to do. All it says is that you know you can't videotape them. You can't you know sketch artists can't do something realistic about them. You can't put their images or phone numbers or addresses or any identifying information. They'll be referred to as numbers. And the only thing you'll be able to record or hear is the voice during the verdict or any questions that they have for the judge during the but
0: just the voice. Yeah, I I um. I totally agree with you. In fact, I said something similar to what you just said when the motion, it was really the judge up in the Eugene Carroll case who on his own one Friday or Saturday sent out an order, you and I or Ben covered it, in which he said, I'd like to hear from the lawyers as to why or whether there should be an anonymous jury. It was just out of the top of his head, um, you know. Uh, and we thought, oh, here we go. It's going to be Joe Takapina and Alina Haba, and they're going to argue just what you argued, which is no, that prejudges him. The jury's going to be like shit. We need protection from this guy. He must be a bad guy. Um, and they, it was like nothing. It was just like here, nothing. Because it's almost like I feel like the lawyers are convinced that they need an anonymous jury to protect their own client from his worst instincts. Um, Because if they give him what he naturally wants, which is tell me who they are and tell me where they live, uh, bad things will happen. So sometimes, you know, I had a case that you and I like to joke about um, involving a very famous uh, musician. Uh, And when when I got him sanctioned, because of his poor conduct during a deposition and attacking me and everybody else, uh, the judge basically had me write the admonitions or the warnings that she was going to read him before the next deposition. And she said, why don't you prepare them, Mr. Popak, and send them over to the other side um, for edits. And so I made them really, really, like this is my my wish list. This is like my Christmas list of everything that I wanted, thinking I'm going to have to dial it back. I sent it over to them and they wrote back, we're fine with that. Because they knew, right, they let me get, we never got to that deposition, that case settled because of that. But they knew that they had an out-of-control client that even they couldn't control, and they needed me to help discipline him and have the court on the bat. I think it's something sort of similar psychosis, psychology is going on here. Speaking of psychosis, let's talk about Judge Cannon down in Florida as we round out the the legal AF uh, midweek. And uh, this one's interesting. I'll set. i turn it over to you for the uh, Garcia hearing. Um, Garcia hearing is the shorthand name based on a case for a hearing involving conflicts of interest for lawyers who represent multiple criminal defendants or witnesses of, of in the same trial whose interests may not be aligned because somebody jumps off sides. They don't. They cooperate with the government. You know, they were once. There were once three. Clients with one lawyer, and now one has escaped and made its way over to the prosecutors, and are going to testify against the other two. Makes it sort of difficult for the lawyer to cross-examine his former client when they're on the stand, and hence every court, state or federal, has some version of a Garcia hearing. That's that's what it's called down in Florida, and we already saw a version of it involving Mar a Lago because a hearing took place in the District of Columbia. Very well, very well handled by the chief judge, Jeb Bosberg, in which you sealed Tavares, the IT worker, who used to be represented by Stan Woodward, one of the lawyers in the hearing that's coming up in Florida, when he got his own independent lawyer, um, he made a different decision, which was, I just perjured myself in front of the grand jury, and I need to recant all my testimony and cooperate with the federal government. The federal government said, come on in. (laughs) We'll redo the entire indictment in Mar-a-Lago based on your new testimony. And that's what can happen if it's properly handled, where you have an independent lawyer, usually a public defender standing by, witnesses and all of that. That's up in Washington. Judge Cannon has a different idea about how to run a Garcia hearing. And Karen, why don't you take it from there? And what do you think the end result is with Stan Woodward? one lawyer, and, and John Irving, another lawyer, who collectively represent 10 different defendants and witnesses all in Mar-a-Lago, and they don't think there's a problem with it, even though a couple of them have, are now flipped and cooperating with the government.
1: Yes, they're going to have two hearings on October 12th in Fort Pierce. Uh, De Oliveira's is going to be at one o'clock in the afternoon. And um, Waltine Nata is going to be at three o'clock on the same day. Uh, The judge uh, ordered um, the attorneys, uh, the defense attorneys and special counsel to be present. But she said the potential witnesses. So the other people that the defendants are representing don't need to come. And everybody has to be prepared. The, the, special counsel has to be prepared to articulate the nature and scope of whatever conflict they think exists. And the defense have to respond and the court at its discretion may elect to hold part of the hearings sealed or ex parte, which means, um, uh, without, you know, not in the presence of both parties is what, was what ex parte means. And and that's something that the defense asked for was like, you know, sure, you can talk to my clients and ask them questions, but I don't want Jack Smith and his people to be there. So the court res- that ability to do that, and um, and so we'll see what happens. You know, it's interesting. Because a month and a half ago, it was obviously so long to was, but she seems to be slow in this case to you know almost ensure that there's a delay and it doesn't go uh, when she said um, when she said it for trial next May, um, and he basically. Said in his motion that, you know, that defendant uh, Nauta and De Oliveira must be told what the risks are and waive it on the record um, because it's so precarious to have a defendant um, represented by a lawyer who represented witnesses who will be testifying. And the subject matter is about this exact case. It's one thing, it's like, okay, I'm cross examining a former client. Really didn't matter. It's about this case. And so how's that going to work when let's say your client, your former client told you something as a lawyer, Stan Woodward? You know, you you, you represented, you know, employee number four, who is uh UCL Tavares, right? And he's going to be testifying. And so let's say he something in confidence during uh, the attorney client relationship uh and and you then it turns out you're going to go to trial and he says something on the stand different than that right you can't use what you know to cross-examine him and so how is that going to work you know you have divided loyalties and um because, you know, Tavares isn't going to waive his right to confidentiality or loyalty or conflict free representation. And so what Woodward said was, look, I'm not aware that he said anything, you know, incriminating about my client now, et cetera, et cetera. So, but he's, you know, it's a very strange line to walk. Um, and, you know, the so Jack Smith in his motion talks about all of the different potential conflicts that both lawyers, Stan Woodward and John have based on the different people they represented. And, you know, points out, though, it was very interesting. He, he didn't ask for a specific remedy, if you remember. Um, he didn't say, therefore, get Stan Woodward off the camp. Or John Irving off the keys, he's because he would because, you know, the Sixth Amendment does give you a right to uh, counsel of your choice. Um, and, you know, and, and you know, and, and so he Jack Smith is smart. He's not trying to take away counsel of their choice because he doesn't want to infringe on his Sixth Amendment right. So he says, Judge, you, I just want you to make sure that you apprise them of all the parade of horribles that could happen, and tell them what the conflicts are and all the things they're not going to be able to do on behalf of their client, and just make sure they waive that on the record, um, and then you know do what you want. And basically, what this is is he's protecting his record. Okay, that and that's you know the the only thing um, uh, prosecutors think about. It's not just about you know getting a conviction. Um, you have to get a conviction and you have to make sure that it doesn't get overturned because what good is a, a case, a trial, if it gets overturned? And so he's protecting his record here. And that's what he did by by uh, asking for these Garcia hearings and pointing out what all the conflicts could be and are so that at these hearings, uh, the judge will b- hopefully do her job and inform them of what these potential conflicts would be, although Jack Smith put them in his motion, so it's there, and make sure they waive them on the record. And if they do, and they they say they still want to be represented by these lawyers, knowing that they can't, uh, you know, potentially use this information. That's, you know, that's on them.
0: Yeah, I don't like the way she's conducting the hearing. I think uh, Chief Judge uh, Boesberg has a better method, having an independent lawyer standing by and taking in witness testimony if necessary. But if this is the way she's going to do it, it's a it is a Garcia hearing. Um, uh, I think it'll survive the Eleventh Circuit precedent. And, and again. Uh, my my opinion, and I think it's joined by the other my co-leaders of K of uh, Legal AF. I said legal legal KFA. That's good too. Is um you know Mar a Lago is the stalking horse. He's he's ex- Donald Trump has recently added a couple of new lawyers to his team, but so has Jack Smith um, to try to f- backfill. You know because it it's a very hollow uh, group here. This is you know there's four. total lawyers, now even just six total lawyers, not six firms, six lawyers for Donald Trump in all of these cases, it's not enough, frankly, to run a case properly with a couple of paralegals here and there against the United States of America and Jack Smith and an unlimited budget and and dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens, and I'm leaving off dozens of prosecutors and investigators against you. Um, So the more that he... Jack Smith exhausts and tires out uh with motion practice down in Mar-a-Lago, you know, where the main case is in DC with Judge Chutkin, who's not going anywhere. And so I like the fact that there's these two cases. And yes, Mar-a-Lago is important. And I want to, I want to put him away for all these things. But if 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 you know God came down and said, Popak, pick one, pick one where there's a conviction, I'd be like the election case in in DC with Judge Chutkin. And and Jack Smith knows that. And so It's a great way. They've opened up another battlefield, another uh, you know, down in Miami, exhausting and pinning down Trump's lawyers while the real work uh, for justice is being done up in D.C. We'll continue to follow D.C., Georgia, New York, Florida, and all things Trump with seven trials in nine months um, for Canada Trump uh, and uh, and who's an indicted felon in '91 different felony charges on the midweek edition of legal AF the weekend edition of legal AF you can only get it one place exclusively on the Midas Touch network help us get to 2 million free subscribers on the YouTube channel they're so close be the two million be the two millionth person the bigger the network is the bigger that platform is the more your voice is heard. Period. Bar none. And everything I'm going to describe about the ways to support us and make our content come to you, the way it's coming and the volume and the volume of the quality is to support the Midas Touch network. Go on the audio version of this if you're watching it on YouTube. We drop the audio a few hours later. Click onto that. That's free. Watch, listen, listen, watch. Go back and forth. It helps the algorithm we are beholden to almighty algorithm to keep us on the air leave a comment participate in our live chat we do uh and uh leave a review leave a five-star review i always sound like an uber driver when i say that because it helps keep us kind of pumping along here and then karen ben me three leaders of k of legal a- i was did it again legal af we bring you hot takes about every hour Uh, on the cutting edge at that real speaking of real estate the really important real estate at the corner of law and U.S. politics we sit there bring you these stories with our collective 75 years of experience so that you don't have to and we hope we do it in a way that's really informative educational and at least mildly entertaining uh, on your Wednesday and Saturday nights and throughout so until the next Legal AF, which is coming up this Saturday, and the one with Karen and me next Wednesday. This is Michael Popak, Karen Friedman, Ignifolo, signing off.